Best Practices in Emergency Notification, Webinar 3. Hello and welcome to the Best Practices in Emergency Notification Webinar Series. I'm your host, Steve Hardiman. In this educational series, sponsored by E2 Campus, we bring you webinars presented by your peers, decision makers who have first-hand experience responding to actual emergencies on their university and college campuses. They will share their expertise and answer your questions about how they made decisions, what actions they took, and the role their emergency notification system played in protecting the safety of the students, faculty, and staff to whom they are accountable. Today's webinar is Emergency Notification Systems 101, presented by Penn State University. Your presenter is Anne-Marie Mounts, Assistant Director of Public Information. Hello, Anne-Marie. Hi, Steve. Anne-Marie Mounts joined Penn State in May 1995 as Associate Editor of the University's Faculty Staff Newspaper in the Office of Public Information. In 2000, she was promoted to editor and manager of internal communications. With the communications revolution, her job has evolved over the past several years. Now, as assistant director of public information, she is responsible for managing Penn State Live, the university's official news website, as well as more than three dozen Penn State newswires. Together with her boss, she launched PSU Text. Penn State's text messaging system in August 2006. She currently serves as the system's top administrator, supervising the use of PSU text university-wide. Okay, Anne-Marie, what are we going to cover today? Well, Steve, I'm going to share what I know about text messaging with some background on how we got started here at Penn State, how we went about implementing the system, lessons we learned along the way, and then, of course, I'll take whatever questions anyone has. Okay, let's get started, Emory. Give us some background about Penn State and tell us how you co-launched its ENS. Okay, Steve. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining me today. Over the next hour, we'll be covering emergency notification systems from Penn State's perspective. In this first section, I'm going to go over some background about Penn State, the beginnings of our ENS system, our pilot program, marketing efforts, and early messages that we sent. Penn State is one university geographically dispersed. That means we have one campus, our original campus, and the largest campus, University Park, in the geographic center of the state, surrounded by 23 other campuses that stretch all across the, the entire state of Pennsylvania. Penn State has an enrollment of 86,509 students university-wide, and roughly 42,000 of those are at University Park. We have roughly 41,000 full and part-time employees, including faculty and staff combined. So we've got quite a large population of faculty, staff, and students spread out throughout Pennsylvania. And we now have more than 49,000 PSU Tech subscribers in our system. Our entry into the world of text messaging came as a result of a casual conversation that I had with my boss in late 2003 or early 2004 about the proliferation of cell phones on campus and how many students were using them to send text messages to each other. 
my boss always has been on the cutting edge of integrating new technology into how we communicate. So he asked me to look into the possibility of incorporating text messaging into our communications plan. I investigated getting a text messaging system, but it wasn't easy. Back then, there were almost no companies doing this. I began working with one company who made lots of promises of a really robust system, but would not be pinned down on price. After several months of communicating about our needs and their abilities, we finally nailed them down on price, and it would have cost us more to set up the system than we had in our entire public information budget for the year. So they were out, and I had to start from square one. Uh, the next company I found said they would set up and operate the system at no cost to the university, but they would send our subscribers ads on a daily basis. Since we wanted people to know that a PSU text message always would contain information they needed immediately, having a vendor send ads to the subscribers was counterproductive to our mission. I finally found a vendor whose services were within our budget without the requirement that they send ads. Working with them, we then launched PSU Text in August of 2006. We started small. We didn't want to go university-wide to all of our campuses at once uh, because we weren't really sure how this was going to work. So we started it as a pilot program for University Park only. We set up three message categories, emergencies, sports, and concerts, so that our subscribers could choose which types of messages they wanted to receive. Our plan was to run the system at University Park for one academic year, try it out, see how it worked, and then if we were happy, expand it to our other campuses in the spring. Then on April 16, 2007, tragedy struck Virginia Tech University as a gunman killed 32 people and then himself. In the wake of that tragedy and the spotlight it positioned on emergency communications in general and text messaging in particular, we ramped up our expansion. One week later, on April 23rd, we, extend, we expanded PSU Text to 23 campuses. Well, it looks like Steve has another poll for us. The question for our live participants is, how is your school promoting the use of its CNS? And while we're collecting our responses, Anne-Marie, I have a question for you. Uh, before the Virginia Tech incident, ENS could be a tough sell, especially without a precedence in the push category, that is, specific emergency information delivered to individuals. All we had in the past were pull announcements made by local media, uh, pre-recorded telephone hotlines and website updates. So without that precedent, leadership must have played a really big role in championing the cause of PSU text to sell it internally. So how did you get buy-in for an emergency notification system from administrators? Well, that's a great question, Steve. My boss, who at the time was Assistant Vice President for University Relations, always has had us on the cutting edge with technology that could deliver our messages in new ways. As one example, back in 1995 and 96, when everybody started developing websites with a field of dreams mentality, you know, if we build it, they will come, uh, my boss recognized that people weren't going to just come to our website without being drawn there. So he started what we call the Penn State Newswire, a subscription-based email service that pushes brief versions of our news stories out to readers. If the readers are interested in learning more, they click on a link, takes them to our website, and then they can see what else is out there. Um, we started with eight subscribers to one newswire back then. 
Today we've got more than 40 targeted newswires serving 560,000 subscribers worldwide. That's, that's one example. He's been proven right time and time again when he suggests different ways of getting our message out. So when he suggested we get into text messaging, it, it really was an easy sell because of his track record. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he was at it a long time ago. That's very, very prescient. We've got our poll results there, and it looks like uh, web banner ads are the, the most popular. There's a lot of other in there. Campus newspaper ads, campus newspaper uh, news articles, a lot of people taking an editorial approach, bulletin board posters, and campus signage. Uh, Anne-Marie, is there anything you observed there about the kinds of pr- um, promotions we're seeing? Yeah, I was surprised to see the, the website banner ads because that's something that we didn't use. Uh, we, we tended to go strictly editorial and whatever, whatever publicity we could get for free. <laughs> but the editorial approach is kind of interesting. Let's go ahead and talk about that. I know we put this poll here because I know that what we're about to talk about is how you, in fact, promoted and got the awareness out. So let's talk about that. All right. Well, when we launched CSU Text, we worked with the vendor on a press release that we distributed jointly. We we really decided that editorial was the way to go with this, and uh, we sent out the press release to local and regional media. The vendor sent it out to national outlets, including the Chronicle of Higher Education, CNET News, national newspapers, including USA Today. Now, since we were one of the early adopters of the text messaging system, everybody was interested in what we were doing, and we got very broad coverage of our launch. So, as far as how we marketed the system to our target audience, our, our mainly our students at first and then later our faculty and staff, we went totally internal. We, we really didn't care to market it outside of the university. We wanted our students, faculty, and staff really to... Uh, be the consumers of this of this system. So we targeted incoming freshmen by giving them flyers at their freshman ten- testing, counseling, and advising program. And then we ran stories about the new service on our Penn State Live News website and through our network of Penn State Newswires, uh, which I had mentioned a few minutes ago. We envisioned the main use of the system to be a way to let students know when snow canceled classes. So we sent out stories on live and the student newswire every time the forecast called for inclement weather. Each time we sent out a story, I would watch the number of subscriptions grow right before my eyes on the, on the subscription page. I could see the numbers rising. So because we considered PSU text to be an extension of the newswires system, we put the subscription link for it on the same page as the subscription link for the newswires. Our hope was to cross-promote the two services. While tens of thousands of people were able to follow the directions, we did find some confusion among some people who tried to subscribe to PSU text by creating a newswire subscription, and that didn't work. Um, we kept the subscription page this way until relatively recently. You'll see our revamped one uh, a little bit later. Early on, we were really anxious to use the system, in a sense to remind people who subscribed that we had the service. So we sent out a variety of messages. Um, you'll see them on these, these slides here. Um, since the Virginia Tech tragedy, however, we have severely tightened the criteria for what rises to the level of sending a PSU text message. What did you feel like was the, I guess, the biggest lesson that you really learned out of your first year of running the ENS? What, what really 
strikes you as, as what you got out of that? I'd say the most important lessons we learned dealt with message content, including both the type of incident being reported and also the precision of the message. As I said, we have 23 uh, systems really set up through PSU Text. We, we serve 23 campuses with this. So it's really important to be precise with the message. We have administrators from each campus empowered to send the messages, and the hardest thing to get all of them to understand was that people outside of their individual campuses can get the messages. One campus sent out, sent out an alert that an accident closed Route 322 right at the campus and failed to provide any uh, link to other information or even the name of the campus. I had no idea where the problem was because Route 322 runs diagonally from the northwest corner of the state to the southeast corner, and it passes several of our campuses. I know we've got a poll coming up uh, as we get into this uh, next section, which is really, I guess, the meat of what you call our 101 section of really the drawing some of the lessons from the PSU text experience. So our first question for you is, how many cellular providers support your school's emergency SMS system. And so let me ask you, though, uh, Anne-Marie, is why was this question important for you to focus on at Penn State when you were evaluating vendors and trying to find the right system for you? Well, while many people have Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile as their cell phone carrier, many others use smaller local cell phone provides providers. And as I've said, we've had, we have campuses throughout the state. We also draw a number of students from outside of Pennsylvania. So the number of those local cell phone providers used by our campus community is fairly high. We had to make sure that as many of our target audience as possible could receive the text messages we were sending. So we needed to find a vendor whose service was supported by as many cell phone providers as possible. Well, let's take a look at the results here. This is interesting. As we expected, I thought that you know a lot of people wouldn't know. It's not a number people carry around in their back pocket. But what's interesting here is is sort of the the mix. We don't. Some, there's a, a lot of people are here that don't have a vendor. So we hope you have some questions for Anne Marie that we'll answer later. But how does this strike you? We've got less than ten on twenty percent of the people. What do you think of that, Anne Marie? About some of this, some of these responses. Well, depending on the location, you know, that might be enough for some schools that are maybe in a, a remote area that draw, that draw their campus community from a, a small area. It's very possible that the vendors that are supported by that vendor, or the cell phone providers that are uh, supporting that vendor are the ones that serve the great number of their campus population. Um, my guess is that most schools don't fall into that category, so it's surprising that that so many have ven- have vendors that are supported by so few cell companies. When you really get into it, there's more companies out there than you realize. So why don't we take that as our launch point and talk about evaluating vendors and, and the kind of numbers you were looking at. Okay, well, when I was working to establish a text messaging system, I didn't really have much choice of vendors. Um, now there are lots of them offering a variety of services. Uh, when, when you're evaluating vendors' offers, you need to make sure you know the price, the contract terms, the system's versatility, with how many cell companies they do business. Uh, and, and that last point, as we just said, is very important. 
because not all of your students will be on the, the major carriers. Um, you want to make sure that the vendor deals with as many companies as possible to make the service available to as many of your campus community members as possible. The vendor I use, Penn State uses currently, is supported by 69 cell phone carriers, and that, that number keeps going up. They, uh, they keep adding carriers, and, and that's important for a couple of reasons. Um, first, it means those cell companies allow bulk text messaging, which is different from mobile-to-mobile -mobile messaging. I think just about every cell phone carrier allows text messages from cell phone to cell phone, which is what most people do, the bulk messaging that is sent out through these systems is different, and a lot of the smaller companies may not accept that kind of text messaging. More and more are, but you need to make sure that they do support that or they're not going to be able to get messages from your text messaging system. The other issue is whether or not cell phone carriers have whitelisted your vendor. And whitelisting is exactly what you might think it is, the opposite of blacklisting. It's an arrangement where the carrier understands that the messages that are being sent through your vendor are not spam. And so the carrier will let them go through. If your vendor is not whitelisted and you send a message to thousands of subscribers, the cell carriers may flag your messages as spam and block delivery so your messages won't go out. Whether or not the uh, vendor intends to send ads to your subscribers is also an important factor to consider. We get lots of emails inquiring about how many and what kinds of messages we intend to send uh, because many people have plans that allow for a certain number of text messages per month or they're not on a plan and they pay for each text message. In both cases, they want to make sure they're not going to get superfluous messages from our system. Also, as I stated before, we want our subscribers to know that when they get a PSU text message from us, it's important, and they need to read it right away. If they get ads, they may start deleting messages without reading them or even unsubscribing. Customer service is really a key point. No matter how easy it is to subscribe, some people are going to have trouble. I don't know about all of you out there, but I have a lot of other things to do than, than sit and work through subscribing to our text messaging system with people who are having trouble. I don't have to. My vendor has a, a support system. I just send the people an email address. They, they log in or a, a web address. They log in, fill out a support ticket, and the vendor takes care of any problems. I don't have to deal with that. Uh, which is good because I don't know how to deal with it either. I'm not a technolo technologically adept person in that respect. Um, we also found our vendor is highly responsive to our needs. They've added features at our suggestion. They've fixed bugs we found. They're available instantly via instant messenger, email, and phone. So, you know, that aspect is good too. I know they're there when I need them. Another important consideration is how easy the system is to use. When there's an emergency, you're not going to want to pull out a manual to figure out how to send a text message. I'd recommend having a system that can be accessed via web interface and that also can be used via smartphone rather than having something that's software-based. If you've got a software-based system, you're dependent upon having access to a certain computer to send a message. If that computer's in a building that's lost power, you're out of luck. If you have something that's web-based and you can access it on a smartphone, you're in a lot better position. 
I once got an urgent call from someone at one of our campuses who needed to send a message but was having difficulty. There was a power outage on her campus. She didn't have a smartphone, and so there was no way for her to send a message herself. She called me to ask me to send the message. Well, at the time, I was in a, at an event with our university president and the director of the FBI. I couldn't leave them. I didn't have access to a computer, but I was able to get out my BlackBerry, access the system, and send the message for our, our other campus. So that's a consideration that, that you really want to look at. Now, using the system, uh, you need to decide who will be authorized to send alerts. When charging our campuses with identifying who, who would be authorized, I told them the designated people should be those who are in the room and at the table when there's a crisis in progress. They're the ones most likely to be getting information out via other means as well. Most campuses designated their campus chancellor, their chief communicator, and their webmaster as the three people who could send messages. Who decides when an alert should be sent? Well, this should be the same set of people who decide when to put out emergency information by other means as well. The text message should be part of your overall communications plan and treated as one of the communications tools. One thing that we've learned is that there is no one best way to reach everybody. So you want to have a variety of tools, and text messaging is one of those tools you want to have. When the crisis communications team is discussing whether to send out an email, post an alert to a website, call a press conference to alert media to a crisis situation, they also should be evaluating whether or not to send a text message. Another important point, make sure you've got a backup plan in case your primary system administrator can't send the message. My office has about half a dozen people authorized to send messages, and we act as the backup for all of our other campuses in the event that the two, three, or even four people designated at those campuses are unable to send a message. Now, what criteria do you have for sending alerts? At Penn State, the short answer is that PSU text messages will be sent only when situations arise on campus that affect the ability of the campus, students, faculty, and staff to function normally. Some examples are when snow causes the cancellation of classes, if a power outage affects the ability for the university to hold classes on a portion of the campus, if Internet or phone service is knocked out to a critical area that would affect the ability of students, faculty, and staff to communicate. Uh, we also would send a text message if an incident occurred on campus that affected the ability of the campus community to access a portion of the campus. And, of course, should the unthinkable happen and a tragedy occur on campus, we would use PSU text as part of our overall communications plan. And I think that brings us to Steve's next poll. Yeah, we do have another poll for you. We'd like to hear about the kinds of alerts that you're using uh, your emergency notification system for. We'll share those in a minute. Let me go ahead and ask you, though, since you've kind of come down this learning curve, having your ENS installed for a while, uh, what have, if you were to use your criteria that you use now, what have you learned and what would be the kind of alerts that would pass muster today? Just last week, a bomb scare closed one of our campuses and they sent out a text message alert about that incident uh, there. Other campuses have been involved in Homeland Security drills and have used PSU text as part of the drill. Uh, power outages have closed campuses. We had tornado uh Unconfirmed, but they, they thought there were tornadoes, and it was certainly horrible weather out in, in 
the uh, western part of the state that devastated some of our campuses, uh, power outages, trees down, just really caused a lot of destruction, and we used PSU text to alert people to stay away from those campuses during that. Um, of course, snow and ice are big issues in Pennsylvania during the winter, so by far uh, the bulk of the text messages that we've sent out have been for bad weather, canceling or delaying our classes. All right. I want to get this, these results up there. So let's look through these for a second. So here we've got a lot of weather-related events, of course. Power outages, class cancellation, emergency drills updates. I think updates. there's somebody here from California. I see earthquake drills. <laughs> Earthquakes. All right. Probably. Snowstorms, uh, hazmat events, uh, hostage situation, bomb threats. Um, and we're sorry about any of those events that happened, they, but that's why we're doing these. Bob's going weather. Anything that jumps out at you, Anne-Marie, as being something that uh, you've had to kind of deal with and make a decision about? Well, we've had, um, obviously, the weather issues. Um, we've, had, we've had some hazmat. We, we had a, um, a hazmat spill that closed a road that we had to clean up, and, and we sent a message out of that out for that. So that's one I see up here that we've done. Um, amber alerts. I, I uh, hadn't thought of that one. Right. Oh, yeah. There's uh, Homeland Security things, exactly. Yeah. yeah five, five from the bottom, severe weather alerts, amber alerts. Yeah. And that brings up the question of that sort of the eminence of it, because I, I know that uh, I think a general sense of the public is some of those amber alerts, sometimes you don't quite know what to do with them, that you don't know how you're able to respond specifically. Uh, and we'll, I know we're going to, we'll be talking about that shortly, about how we make some, how you make some decisions about what to send and times and when to know when to send it. Right. All right, Emory. Why don't you give us some advice for uh, doing some training? Okay. Well, the system you select should be easy enough to use that you really need to have minimal training. I trained all of our campus-designated administrators via email. I sent them a five-page, five-step training manual, and the only reason the manual is five pages is that I had large screen captures of each of the five steps, so I had one step on each page with an explanation of what the screen capture said. So the key should be how to use the system, not how to use the system, but when to use it. If you've got to figure out how to use it in an emergency, it's not going to be as effective. And one note, while most of the campus administrators re receive just their own messages, all top administrators of your system should receive all messages so that you know what's going out. Now, that brings me to rolling out the system. Um, as I said earlier, we used our existing rather robust internal communications channels to market PSU text to our internal audience and Again, we launched when PSU, we launched PSU text when nobody was thinking that a tragedy, the magnitude that struck Virginia Tech could even happen. That was not on our radar at all. Um, so our rollout was very low key and even a little lighthearted. Some of our early articles about it were saying that, you know, people were the, people with PSU text were the first to find out that Bob Dylan was coming to campus for a concert if they had the concert listings selected and you know, very lighthearted and, and um, upbeat. That's all changed now. Our marketing strategy now is to urge people to stay informed in case of an emergency and 
that's the way really today launch announcements should be. They should be much more direct, broader, and more urgent than what we had used. Now, you should test the system to a point. We did a test of the system in March of this year to address concerns administrators had about whether or not the system would be able to handle the load in an emergency. I decided to try to crash the servers of our vendor uh, with our test. I arranged for 24 simultaneous logins, one from each of our, our campuses that had the PSU text on their campus. We all logged in at precisely 1.30 p.m., and sent a text message to our campuses. And so we tried to, to test the server load with the simultaneous logins and test the delivery end of things, sending messages to more than 38,000 subscribers. I'm happy to report that both pieces of the test were successful. All the messages were delivered within 10 minutes of being sent, and I know that for sure because I'm subscribed to every one of the categories of message, and I timed when I got the first one and when I got the last one. Um, the test also identified unvalidated subscribers because we had highly publicized the test through our news wires, and then we followed up with more publicity after the test. The post-test publicity informed people that if they thought they were subscribed but did not receive a message, they likely had not completed the validation process when registering. We gave them instructions on how to complete the validation process, and although I don't have exact figures, we did see a rise in the number of subscriptions immediately after the test. One final note about testing the system, don't over-test. I mentioned earlier PSU text was used as a part of, a, of Homeland Security disaster drills. Most of the campuses who did this sent one message when the drill started to inform the campus that this drill was underway and a second message when the drill was over to inform people that the drill was done. One of our campuses sent out half a dozen messages during the drill and the drill had nothing to do with the actual campus. Nobody had to do anything. It was just they were getting practice using the text messaging, and they really annoyed some of our subscribers. We received a lot of complaints, and some people even unsubscribed. So don't over-test. <laughs> um, types of alerts and when to send them. As I said, PSU text messages are sent only when situations arise on campus that affect the ability of the campus to function normally. At Penn State, we've sent messages for the reasons you can see on this slide. We identified different categories of emergencies, and I saw some of these in the poll response as well. Uh, police, fire, hazardous materials, health, weather-related, and our catch-all other category for those situations that we can't even begin to imagine. For each type of emergency, we ask whether lives have been lost or if there have been injuries, whether there's imminent danger to the safety of those on campus, whether classes or work have been canceled or delayed, whether there's some immediate action required by the campus community, whether the situation has disrupted communications or power, and also whether the situation is ongoing. In no case do we automatically say, yes, send a message. Rather, we say, yes, consider sending a message. And we base it on 
the specifics of the situation. And by the same token, we don't say no de definitively either. Again, we look to evaluate additional factors and look to the specifics of the situation because every situation is different. As I mentioned a little earlier, we had one message send one campus send a message with no campus identifier about a road that ran by or through several of our campuses. The message did not include a source of additional information. Right after that, I instituted a standard format for our text messages. The subject line must identify the campus. The body of the message must include a source of additional information. Having the source for additional information does a couple of things. First and foremost, most obviously, it allows you to give details somewhere other than a 140-character text message. Second, it helps verify that the text message is legitimate and not a spoof because the information in the text message can be verified on a university-run website. Also, we limit our messages to 140 characters total, including the subject line and body. Some phones can accept longer messages, but some cannot. We target the lowest common denominator technology-wise to make sure that everyone can receive the entire message that we send. Penn State's PSU text structure is fairly straightforward. Users subscribe once, and once they're subscribed, they go into their preferences and see a list of alert groups that we have set up, one for each campus. Subscribers can choose as many alert groups as they want so they get the messages that they want to receive. On the administrator side of things, local campus administrators can send to only their campus group. Super administrators can send to all of the groups. Our message guideline keeps accuracy at the top of the list. In the wake of Virginia Tech's tragedy, politicians tried to legislate a mandatory 30-minute reporting window for emergencies. I'm sure a lot of you are aware of that. Penn State lobbied hard against that because, there, well, there are implications to, to speed that the politicians weren't seeing, and, and we tried to help them see that. Fortunately, the legislation did not pass. It was stripped out of the recently passed Higher Education Act. And the reason that we, we gave was that we need to balance the expectation of speed with the demand for accuracy, making accuracy of paramount importance. Failure to make accuracy a top priority could cause confusion and possibly panic. And we, we learned this firsthand uh, recently within the last couple of months. Uh, actually, I guess it was last spring. We had a situation where a murder suspect from a city about an hour and a half away from Penn State University Park was spotted in State College, the town where Penn State University Park is located. News reports put the suspect on Atherton Street, about four miles from campus, headed away from campus and out of town. Soon, campus police got a call that the suspect was in Atherton Hall, one of our residence halls. While police were sure as they could be that the caller was mistaken, they're duty-bound to respond to such calls, so several armed police quickly descended upon the residence hall to search and secure it. Students saw the, re the armed response team panicked and started sending each other text messages. Rumors spread and multiplied, and soon there were reports of armed gunmen in our union building, shots being fired in our library, and a few other really outrageous scenarios. Police spent about an hour responding to each of these false alarms in turn. Finally, after all reports had been proven to be false, we posted a story on Penn State Live explaining the situation. We did not send a text message. 
We received criticism for not employing PSU text in the situation, but we made the decision not to use it because we did not want to spread any unsubstantiated rumors. Had we used it, we would have sent no fewer than half a dozen messages within a short period of time. The first one would have been to report a suspected gunman in a residence hall, which, by the way, is locked down 24-7 with key card access by residents only, which was why we were fairly certain there was no gunman in there. Um, we then would have had to send out a second message saying the first report was false, and the third message would have been to report the suspect allegedly being spotted in the union building. The fourth would have been to declare that rumor false, too. The fifth would have been about the shots fired in the library, and the sixth would have been to say, never mind, that was false also. In the meantime, we would have created panic by spreading all these unsubstantiated rumors. Keeping on the theme of accuracy of information, it's really critical for the person sending the text message to stay in touch with the source of the information so information can be updated if needed. If the incident involves the police, the text message administrator needs to remain in contact with the police dispatch center. At Penn State, when we have an emergency involving the police, someone from our office is always assigned to report to the police command post and relay information back to the office so it can be disseminated through all of our communications channels, including PSU text. Again, I can't stress it enough. Timeliness is important. Accuracy is critical. Well, I've given you a lot of information about Penn State's point of view today. I hope it's been helpful. Um, other helpful resources include relevant user groups where you can learn from lots of others and avoid having to reinvent the wheel. As an example, E2 Campus has a peer user group with more than 300 members who share ideas. There also are many trade association-based user groups and listservs that may be available. For example, IACLEA for Safety Security Professionals has a listserv where members pose questions and share ideas daily. Whatever form of user group you join, the benefit is that you're in a position to keep learning from others and you can share your information with them as well. All right. Just before, Anne-Marie, we jump into these lessons learned, uh, a reminder, Q&A is coming up next. Uh, and a, just a quick question for you. With all this experience now that you've had several years at this now, a couple, a couple years anyway, is uh, what kind of feed, constructive feedback have you gotten from the, the subscribers? I'm sure you've gotten some comments about it. And what have you learned? Well, we've gotten emails from prospective subscribers wanting to know what kind of test text messages we're going to be sending. They don't want to get a lot of messages. They pay for their messages by the text message they receive or their plan is small. And so I just explain to them our criteria for sending and assure them that they're not going to be receiving routine news or today's lunch menus on their on their cell phone from PSU text. And then once I do that, they're typically happy and say they're going to subscribe. All right, good. Let's go into some of your lessons learned of what we uh, – tell us what's changed over the years and what you got out of the journey you've been on. Well, first we learned it's better to separate out our PSU Tech subscription page from the Newswire subscription page. Uh, what you see here is the top of our news subscription page, and uh, here is the bottom of it. Uh, it now stands on its own, separate from the Newswire's subscription, although that page still exists in case people have it bookmarked. Um, but now there's no question when people go to sign up for PSU text, they're at, they're at the right spot and will be able to sign up a whole lot more easily. 
um, that was a that was a lesson that we specifically learned. Um, other points to take away are to make sure you know your campus's needs and verify that your vendor can meet them. You also need to have your system and procedures in place before an emergency. Know who the primary person is to send the message, who will be that person's backup, and who will be second backup. Make sure your launch announcements are direct, broad, and urgent. You need to make sure your target audience knows why it's important for them to have the service to stay informed in an emergency. Uh, establish a clear criteria for system use and then stick to that criteria. Don't don't go off what you tell people you're going to do because you'll hear from them and you'll lose subscribers. Again, make sure your messages are accurate. I, I think I've said that a number of times. I, I can't say it enough. If the messages aren't accurate, you've defeated the whole purpose of the system. Uh, you also need to make sure they can be received by all devices and include a source of further information. As I said earlier, to ensure that as many devices as possible can receive our messages, we limit them to 140 characters. That may go up as phones advance and, and even the lower end models can receive larger messages. We used to do 120 characters and recently went up to 140 when it appeared that all the, the newer phones uh, had, had that capability. And finally, meet recipients recipients' expectations for timeliness, but again, not at the expense of accuracy. So, well, Steve, that's all I have, so I'll be happy to take those questions now. All right, and that brings us to the end of our formal presentation. Let's not waste any time and get into our first question. What is the ratio of staff to student subscribers? Matt wants to know that question. Well, Matt, unfortunately, that's one I can't answer. There is no way for us to tell who is subscribed to our system. People enter usernames and first and last names, but we don't ask them to identify themselves as students, faculty, or staff, so there, there's really no way to know. And even using the first name and last name, there, there are some that are obviously false names. Uh, there's, there's actually a Matt A in there. I don't know who, who Matt A is, if he's faculty, staff, student, one of the local reporters, or a parent, or someone else. Do any educational institutions automatically enroll all students, faculty, and staff members in the institution's notification system, or the user has to opt out instead of opt in? This way everyone gets notification unless they decide to opt out. Did you think about that? Actually, we tried something along those lines, but um, the way the way subscriptions work through our vendor, you need to validate your subscription. So you need to, to fill out the subscription form, and then you get a validation code sent to your cell phone. You enter that code back into the web form to verify that, yes, that is a valid phone number and also that, yes, you really are trying to sign up for this so that someone can't sign you up to get the messages without your consent. And, and that's important for the vendor to be able to tell the cell phone carriers, too, because that, that helps them get whitelisted because it's obvious if these people are subscribing, they want to receive the messages. Now, what we tried to do was we collected cell phone information during one class registration period. They log in to register, and we say, hey, give us your, your 
cell phone information. We bulk uploaded those into the vendor server, and the server sent out validation codes to all these students' phones, and we informed them this is what's going to happen and this is what you need to do. And 60,000 students received validation codes on their cell phones to complete the subscription process. 5,000 did it. So we ended up with, with 45,000 know, or 55,000 out of 60,000 that remained unvalidated. You can't force people to sign up. That's the conclusion we reached. Does E2 Campus, and that's your provider, uh, provide support directly to subscribers? If so, is there any additional service cost? Well, that's a good question for E2 Campus, but you probably have an insight into that. Yeah, they have a web page that's a, a support ticket form that people fill out when they have any difficulty with their account. We pay nothing extra for that. Nobody, you know, the subscriber doesn't pay. That's part of the service offered by E2 Campus. All right. That question's from uh, Ben. Thanks for your question. I got a question now from uh, another question from John. Uh, how do you initially load your subscribers to the ENS? Bulk load from student, faculty, staff, databases, web portal, combination of both? How often is it updated? Well, they're, they're self-subscribed. As I said, we did try to bulk upload names and phone numbers and subscribe them that way. That really was a failure. Uh, the very, very small percentage really followed through on that. The 49,000 people who are subscribed are the ones who clicked on the links in the stories that we sent out, filled out the form, and subscribed themselves. Okay. And a question, another question from uh, Matt. Uh, do you have any specific trade organizations that you recommend? I do not. I'm not really up on that. Um, I don't know. That might be a good question for uh, um, E2 Campus, although I, I know I, I mentioned one, IACLEA. Um, you know, another come to think of it, uh, I gave a presentation this summer at ACUTA, A-C-U-T-A, um, there's there's another one, IAEM. Someone came in late, and they just wanted to know if uh, you had to send out real emergency alerts and how, how well it worked for you. Um, and if you can just give us the stats on that, just to review it quick, on how well it did indeed work. Probably the biggest emergency we had on, on this campus, we had a storm that included a microburst, which I'm told by weather authorities is sort of as powerful as a tornado, but as a straight line wind, not not a circular wind like a tornado, but it knocked down a dozen power lines on a main artery through campus, um, closed, the, closed the road. There were a couple of vehicles trapped under the live wires, and it was right at the end of the work day where people were going to be trying to get home, and we sent out a text message about that. And that, by the way, I sent from my... BlackBerry. I was not at my computer. I was on Park Avenue looking at the power line, sending the message, and people avoided the area. We did not have traffic tie-ups because of it. The next question, this one is from Marsha. She asks, do you include unsubscribe information with all outbound messages to comply with the, the CAN-SPAM Act? 
or is it just left on your website page? Um, because they've subscribed themselves and they weren't subscribed by us, we, we don't include unsubscribe information. Anyone, there, there is a link on our page for directly to my email, and if anybody isn't happy, they email me. And as people have emailed and said, I want to unsubscribe, I just unsubscribe them. So there is contact information. Question from uh, William. Do you have open enrollment? that allows news media to receive the text. Oh, yes. Anybody can subscribe to PSU Text. And when we did our our soft launch back in August of 2006, one of our first subscribers was the beat reporter from the local paper. Uh, He used his his real name when he subscribed, and I saw him and and said, okay, well, he's on board. we have a lot of parents subscribe because they want to know what's going on, where their kids go into school, and it's open to everybody. Do you send email to email addresses at psu.edu? Uh, for PSU text, well, there there is an option when you subscribe to have the messages sent to your email, and it can be any email address. So there is that option. We have our newswires system that targets students, uh, one of them targets students, one targets faculty staff, so I can send emails out that way, um, but people, people can elect to have the text messages sent to their email addresses. I think we've answered everybody's questions. What can I say, Anne-Marie? Thank you for answering them. Oh, you're welcome. It's really rare we get an opportunity to have someone who had one of these things up and running, you know, back in 06. That was like in the dark ages of emergency notification. Um, I think everybody had rotary cell phones back then, didn't they? (laughs) Something like that. All right. Well, I want to thank you then for a great presentation. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, Steve. Join us for our fourth webinar that's entitled Lockdown on Campus, Lessons Learned from Ferrum College. In February 2008, a worker at Ferrum College spotted a man with a gun who then disappeared. The school immediately issued a lockdown using their emergency notification system. As police searched for the individual, the school sent multiple alerts throughout the day to ease the tensions of students, faculty, and staff. Now, in this free 45-minute webinar, you'll learn what happened and how it unfolded how administrators handled the situation, what students had to say about the day-long ordeal, what Ferrum College would do differently, and, as always, answers to your questions. It all happens on Wednesday, December 3, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register at e2campus.com. Well, thank you, Emory Mounts from Penn State University for sharing your pioneering experience and expertise Thank you to E2 Campus for your sponsorship of this webinar series. And finally, thank you for joining us for the best practices in emergency notification and asking some really excellent questions. Together, we learn better. I'm Steve Hardiman. Make it a safe day.